Believe it or not, I turned it on. I was delaying until I could do that. I always forget. Denise always remembers, so that's the way we are. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 32 through 40. Give your attention to the word of God. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Heavenly Father, bless to our understanding this reading and exposition of your infallible, inherent word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The new year is always a time of reflection, or should be a time of reflection. And uh, resolutions are always a good thing if they're oriented in the right direction. Uh, but so many of us find uh, that quickly after resolving uh, our res resolve phase. And so what we need more than resolution is repentance and renewal. And all of that comes from motivation. And what is our motivation? And what should be our motivation? Well, the ultimate motivation is found in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Our ultimate motivation should be uh, how can we glorify God? By our faith, which results in actions that are pleasing to him. Where do you find meaning and purpose for your life? What is your organizing principle for everything that you do? That's what the, that's what the uh, self-help gurus say, and I think it's not a bad question. Their answers are, are uh, very secular. They're look within, look at what you want to do, see what your end in view and what you want to accomplish in life. And, 
It's usually something along the lines of being successful and wealthy and so forth, and uh, things that may or may not be bad in and of themselves. But the writer of Hebrews is making a point of where true meaning and satisfaction come from, and it's the only place that true meaning and satisfaction for life can come. We, if, if you don't learn any other part of our catechism, I, I commend to you again the first question, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end, chief purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That should be our motivation. That should be our purpose. You know, the um, new year has been um, crowded with athletic contests. <laughs> Some of our schools did quite well yesterday. Some of ours did not. I, I, I'm always uh, interested in that from, from a number of standpoints, and I don't like to dwell on it because I think we as a culture dwell on it far too much. But I've, I've noticed something about the really successful programs in athletics over the years, and that is that the program itself is greater than any individual. And while individuals are highlighted and um, uh, hailed as heroes and uh, given uh, great honors, what really measures success is the culture that is created in a successful program. Um, all the truly great players, I, I've never heard of a truly great athlete of, in any sport uh, not give credit to those who surrounded him or her in, in their athletic efforts. Uh, the team is greater than the individual. And if that is not understood, then, then the whole thing falls apart. That is, that is what I call a kingdom principle. But there are principles in the Word of God that are true in every arena of life. And that's, and that's one of them. In a far greater plane, in the most important plane of spirituality, our text is pointing to this exact principle. It is the ultimate principle of life. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to, uh, morning and evening, so if you can't get back in the blizzard tonight, uh, that motivation is what we'll be talking about in, ch in chapter 12 in verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews is preparing the saints, the Hebrew background, Christian saints in the first century who are facing incredible persecution from the Roman state as well as their, their, their Jewish uh, uh, 
relatives, friends, authorities for forsaking their family, their religion, for forsaking their country by following and, and declaring the spiritual truth that is above every other spiritual truth that Jesus Christ alone is King and Lord. And that this epic warfare that we are embarked on as Christians in which, uh, as Jay pointed out in marriage, the enemies of marriage are the, also the enemies of our soul, the world and the flesh of the devil at Angie Wong's wedding, that wonderful wedding on Friday. So those are our enemies who are, are, are bent and fixed on destroying us. But our great privilege is we win. We get to participate in the ultimate victory that God has prepared for himself. And what is the point of victory? The point of victory is glory. And whose glory do we work for together as the people of God? It is God's glory. And so what we see in this passage is how God glorifies his people. Or glorifies himself, rather, by the faith of his people. God glorifies himself by the faith of his people. How does he do it? Number one, he does it through their weaknesses. He does it through the weaknesses of his people. The first four people mentioned in verse 32 are Gideon, Barak, and Samson. Um, um, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Now, If you ever want to get depressed, read the book of Judges. The theme of that book is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And God raised up individuals to deliver God's people from themselves. And there's some awful things. And if you read uh, through the lives of these these. Uh, Hall of Fame, members of the Hall of Faith, you say, well, how did they get in there? I can understand Gideon. He, he did this incredible exploit after God, after he tried to do things his own way. Um, but uh, these other guys, Samson, Jephthah, really? Gideon, even Gideon is slow slow to answer God's call. He has, to, he has to put out a fleece to make sure it's, this is what God is telling him to do. Barak, he, he won't go out and fight the enemies of God until a, a woman named Deborah has to come along behind him and goad him on. Samson, what a weakness. Talk about a womanizer. Talk about someone who uh, messes up his life. And yet, at the end, he is faithful. And God uses him to bring down the enemies of God. Jephthah, 
you know, he, he delivers God's people from their enemies, but he makes this horrible vow to sacrifice his daughter. And the horrible decision to carry out his wicked vow. God uses the weakness of his people. Then he goes on. David, man after God's own heart, 72 of the 150 authorized songs that we're supposed to sing in the Bible. We all know his famous affairs with immorality, with Bathsheba, with murder of Uriah and his, his uh, other faithless acts. And yet here he is commended by God. Samuel, this great prophet who seemed to have everything together. God raised him up as the last of the judges to, to uh, give Israel a king. Look at his family. What a, what a failure his family. Yet God uses these weak Old Testament saints and holds them up to us as an example of faith. I've had so many pastoral conversations uh, over 40 years of ministry with people who thought they have sinned so badly and done things so terribly that they could never again be useful in the kingdom of God. The Bible is written in stark, graphic detail about the failures of its best saints. That's one of the reasons I know the Bible is true. Because there could be no propaganda like this that anybody could ever believe. It is indeed a story of God's amazing grace that saves wretches and puts them in service for his kingdom. The Apostle Paul in his weakness, in his physical weakness, had done miracles, had preached the gospel in so many places, and yet he was given a physical affliction that God wouldn't heal. Second Corinthians 12, if you want to read about it, verse 9. Listen, Paul, the Holy Spirit said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Because it is out of weakness that strength comes, verses 33 uh, through 38. Look what they did. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. All, all these people mentioned in Judges, they, they defeated the enemies of God. They enforced justice. Samuel did what was right. When he, God told him to take the, the anointing of, of Saul away from him and give it to David, give it to this little son of Jesse over here in Bethlehem. Enforce justice, obtain Promises stop the mouth of lions. Samson, he could take a lion like a 
like it says in the scriptures, he could take a lion, like someone take a baby goat and rip it apart. I think he's probably thinking forward to Daniel the prophet, who speaks about the prophets. Daniel thrown into the lion's den, delivered. Quench the power of fire. Daniel, or, I mean rather, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, ending, thrown into the fire, delivered by God himself appearing with them. Escape the edge of the sword. Over and over again, David was delivered by the power of God. Gideon, with a small group of, of warriors, defeats a mighty army. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Women receive their dead back from the resurrection. Elijah, the widow in the north north of Israel, raised her son from the dead. Elijah later on, the Shunammite woman, raised her from the dead. Not to mention the Lord Jesus, who three times in his ministry raised people from the dead. What did they all have in common is, is this, that they had their trust in the living God and the integrity to do what was right. They obtained promises in the midst of impossible situations. Maybe they didn't get it all at the time. That's obviously they didn't. And the scriptures record their failures as much as their successes. The point is not what they did. And that's what the writer is illustrating over and over again by bringing these Old Testament stalwarts to life. The point is that they all point to the greatest of all time, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. The message is the same. Jesus is better than any prophet, any priest, any king in the Old Testament. And he never changes. He is always constant. And the weakest servant glorifies him through their obedience. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still at work. Some of you, a number of you, weren't even born when the... Um, Iron Curtain over Europe uh, fell. I, I think that was 1986. Was that 86? Or was it earlier than that? 89. It, it had begun to fall and crumble and then it was finally came down. I, remember, I kind of remember that. So many of you weren't even around then. I can remember praying what seemed like hopeless prayers for years that God would do a work and bring that wall down. And he did. We look at the situation in communist China. We see the brutal oppression 
of God's people there, which is very reminiscent of the brutal oppression of Christians in the Soviet, former Soviet republics. If you recall, we had people who were tortured for their faith, who met for worship in fear of their lives, just as they do in China today. And yet, we should never diminish in our prayers, because the same God who brought down that wall can bring down the wall in communist China. In fact, there are probably, no, I think there are more professing Christians who are seeking to walk by faith in China than there are in the United States of America. That is a mirror of God's grace. The same is true in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, in the face of a militant, evil religion, Islam, who, who wants to murder Christians, the church is growing and thriving. And they fearlessly meet for worship in the face of the hatred and hostility of the world. And they are growing exponentially. Faith looks at the impossibilities and doesn't wallow in doubt and despair, but looks to the power of God to do what seems, from a human standpoint, the impossible. Again, women receive back their dead, Elijah and Elijah. Uh, did this, these impossible miracles those who were tortured, some were tortured and not, not accepting their release. All, all you have to do is, is deny that Jesus is the king and you will be released. Those early saints, martyrs, and that's what the, that's what the word witness means in this text. Martyrs to the faith. And the pages of the history of the church from the beginning is full with those who would prefer imprisonment and even death to bowing to any king but the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is one of the, the saints. Uh, some believe he's the writer of Hebrews. I, I, sometimes I'm convinced that he might have been, other, but I probably, I'm more convinced that it's someone else who knows him well. But I think of him often, and I thought of him immediately in terms of this text. Apostle Paul, his ministry was focused on one thing, is getting the gospel out to the world. And he went to every part of the Roman Empire and preached the gospel. He is a missionary like no other, with none of the, none of the benefits that we have just going from town to town, place to place. But his dream destination was Rome. So he could stay there and preach the gospel. And he got there because he, rather than exercising his rights, well, he by exercising his right of appeal, and he appealed to Rome, and they took him to Rome, and ultimately the Roman authorities uh, put him to death. 
But his one overarching drive was to make Christ known to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Whenever we have our faith and trust in Christ and his finished work, we are victorious. We glorify God. It's through him that we are able to conquer. And then we see that faith looks to the fulfillment of God's promises. As powerful and wonderful as their faith was in the Old Testament, in these Old Testament saints, it is still what they had was just not comprehended to them. They didn't fully understand. And you just you, when you read the Old Testament, you should put yourself in their position, wherever part of the Bible you're reading, what Bible they had. I mean, basically in Genesis, they, they just, God spoke directly to the people. In Exodus, they received the, the, uh, the Torah, the, the, uh, the, the word from Moses, the first five books, and that's all they had for years until uh, the prophets and the, and the poetry uh, was written and received and added. And even then, if you read the Old Testament by itself, you don't fully comprehend what it means until Jesus comes and fully reveals that he is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. And now we have the, the 27 books of the New Testament which fully explain who he is and what he has done. In other words, they just had a small speck of the information that you have. And they believed and they were justified. We, as John Calvin said, we have the Son of Righteousness over us, showing us the full radiance of His glory. We, we have all the information revealed about who God is and what he has done for his people in his word tells us every detail of knowledge about how God has fulfilled all of his promises. And his wonderful as the information they were given by God, it says here, it, it's, a, it's a rather, uh, it's just, it's pointing to our superior position. They didn't receive what was promised since God provided something better for us. Meaning the Hebrew Christians then, but also meaning us today. We have something better. 
And what is that? It's the knowledge of the cross of Jesus and his death in our place that takes away God's wrath. This is an amazing chapter because it gives us an understanding of what God is all about. God is holy and righteous and perfect. He must punish sin. And we see that theme over and over in the Old Testament. That God is not pleased with rebellion. He's not pleased with idol worship. He's not pleased with sexual immorality. He's not pleased with those things that human nature is naturally bent toward because of the fall. He has provided something better for us that we are delivered from those things. And it is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live obedient lives. We have been given something better, last of all. God has provided something better for us. There is no greater truth than the fact that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. And that this is the plan of God to glorify himself in the lives of of those who call, he calls, those sinners he calls to justify and to make righteous. The Old Testament saints, they had, they had partial, they had provisional fulfillments, partial and provisional fulfillments of the promise of the gospel. It was enough by the power of God to bring them to faith and trust in the one who would come, in the one who was the author of righteousness from the foundation of the world. But we have the privilege of having the full plan revealed to us. We have something better. We had this wonderful whole New Testament. We had the better covenant that God has given us. And again, on the basis of that, God glorifies himself. We find our meaning and purpose in life when we focus on glorifying God and enjoy. You, you should really enjoy the fact that you are made righteous in Christ. That you're never going to be more holy in His sight than you are the moment you put your faith and trust in Him. You should rejoice and glory in the fact that God has ordained not only your salvation, He's ordained your good works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. 
He said, Lord, ordain your good works that you should walk in them. What a joyous opportunity we have to demonstrate to a lost and needy world the joy of having our confidence in what God has done for us. If you don't have that this morning, I urge you to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work and do it now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the revelation of your word of who you are, of who your son is, and the work of the Holy Spirit to make that truth plain. If there's anyone here who's yet to understand that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and what Christ has done, enable them to do so even now. And Father, for all who know you and seek to serve you, fill us with joy at the prospect of glorifying you and making your name known. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now worship the Lord with our morning offering.